How many of you are like me when you go away for a while and you just can't wait to get home and sleep in your own bed? I can remember when I was in college, um, I I couldn't wait to come home on break because at our school, um, the beds weren't the most comfortable thing. They had um, literally foam mattresses. Now, these aren't the memory foam, like the real luxurious foam. This was the type of foam that like you wash the foam you wash your cars with. And, and I can remember just so uncomfortable, and I couldn't wait to get home and just sleep uh, in, in my own bed. There, always some, there is something about coming home, uh, you know, whether you're on a trip or a vacation or a day or two, and then you just come back. There's something about coming home. And this is the part that we're in um, in the story. And, and for those of you that, that know what we're going through, we're going through the whole Old Testament, the whole Bible, chronologically going through the major stories of the Bible and seeing how they fit in the, in the major overall story uh, of the Bible. And we're the point now where we see where uh, Jerusalem and, and the Israelites have been taken captive uh, from Babylon and, and, and they're in a foreign country. And this was God's judgment. God allowed this to happen on his judgment because of their backsliding. Um, but what we studied over the last couple of weeks through prophecy, specifically Jeremiah, uh, they knew that this was only going to be for a time and then God would allow his people to come back uh, and help rebuild uh, the, the, the destruction that happened within Jerusalem. And so the first thing you do, as you saw in the videos, they came back and they were going to uh, rebuild the temple. And what I want to focus on today is I want to focus on the front end of the story that you just saw in the video. I want to focus on those that first returned back to Jerusalem and we're helping to rebuild the temple. Now, God wanted this to be rebuilt first because this really symbolized uh, their spiritual lives. And, and through Scripture, we get some insight on what was going on here as they came back to their homeland to see all this destruction. And basically, the Babylonians wiped everything out. The temple, just Jerusalem itself, just laid in complete destruction. So it was very heartbreaking coming back but also it was it was joyful coming back because they were going to restore their lives. Now, I, people would think, you know, what, what makes Jerusalem so important? Has anybody been watching the news lately? Yeah. Uh, uh, Jerusalem is critical because this is the land that God gave Israel. This is the land that God promised Abraham. And I, I heard something just the other day um, on a news report as they were um, uh, talking about the terrorism that has um, happened in in France, and they were talking about the uh, just the very unrest, even with uh, the Jews that are living in 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 Paris right now. Um, the the news reporter just made this really just fast comment, and it literally made my hair stand on end. They said over the last two years, more people, more Jews are moving back to Jerusalem than ever before. And thank Ruth, she, she understands. Ask Ruth. She knows what I'm talking about here. This is a fulfillment of prophecy right before our very eyes. That land is so important because it's the land that God gave Israelite to build on. This is the promise that God gave to Abraham. We know as we read scriptures, Christ is going to come back and step on the Mount of Olives and have his rule and reign right there, his millennial reign. So we see the prophecy happening right before our very eyes. This is So I, I told Kathleen, I'm like, man, that is just crazy, Kathleen. That just caused my 
hair to stand up on ends. I go, can you believe it? And Kathleen goes, isn't that exciting? I'm like, yeah, that is exciting. Because we're seeing this happen right before our very eyes. And so what we're seeing here is we're seeing God allowing his people to come back. And we get some insight here uh, to what God is doing uh, through the book of Ezra. And I want to I dig into the book of Ezra. Ezra was a scribe and a priest, and he helped rebuild the spiritual lives as the exiles were coming back to Jerusalem. So if you've got your Bibles, let's dig into Ezra. I want to look at the first chapter of Ezra. I want to look at the first four verses and talk about how uh, Cyrus, the king of Persia, helped them, as you saw in the video, return and gave them the things that they need to rebuild. And so let's get an insight here. Ezra gives us a little insight here. So let's read what it says. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, he ordered to fulfill the words that the Lord had spoken by Jeremiah. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout uh, his realm uh, and also to put into writing, and this is what the king said, the Lord, the God of, of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple uh, for him at Jerusalem in Judah and of his people among whom you go up to Jerusalem in Judah to build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, that they that may their God be with them. And the locality where the survivors may now be living, the people are provided them with silver, gold, goods, livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of the God of Jerusalem. Now, there's a couple of very interesting things going on right here. First of all, we hear the prophet Jeremiah mentioned. 20 years before Jerusalem was even destroyed by Babylon in 586 BC, Jeremiah predicted that this would happen. And so he did this because he was a prophet of God. And Jeremiah predicted that it would only last 70 years. And so God was giving his people hope that this judgment that he placed on them wouldn't last forever, that they would, that they would be able to come back and rebuild a thing that was destroyed by the enemy. Daniel read this prophecy while he was in exile, and he knew that God would release his people. So there's an important name there in Jeremiah. The other thing important about this proclamation is the king of Persia, or Cyrus. Um, th what, what happens here is you've got some major players in the world. You've got Babylon, you've got Persia, you've got Egypt. These are the major players in the world at that time. Persia took over Babylon during this time of the exile of the Israelites. So while they were in Babylon, Persia took over. Now there's a whole backside to this story, if you know anything about history, and it's very, very interesting, and I want to bring this out to you. What Daniel gives for us, he tells us what's happening inside of Babylon, and historians tell us exactly what happened outside of Babylon and what caused its destruction. And what's amazing about this powerhouse nation of Babylon is how it was destroyed in one day. In one day, Babylon was taken over. If you study anything about World War II, it takes years sometimes for countries to take over other countries. It's long, it's, 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 it's a lot of deaths. Babylon was taken over in one day. Day, You ask, how could this have happened? Well, let me read it to you because this is really interesting. Babylon, this massive empire, fell in one night 
to the Persians. So what happens here is Daniel gives us insight to what's happening inside of the walls of Babylon. Herodotus, who was a Greek historian, gives us some insight on what was happening outside of the walls of Babylon. So let me give you a little insight here. Cyrus brings his troops to Babylon, and Babylon is a massively walled, protected city. In fact, what historians tell us is that the wall itself was 144 square miles of wall, 22 feet thick, and 90 feet high. How many would say that's a wall? That's a massively protected wall. That's why they felt pretty secure with inside of their walls. It, I mean, it was, it, you could not penetrate this wall. And so they felt very confident, very cocky. They felt like no one is going to take us down. There was only, there was a little glitch to the wall though. And the way that you were able to bring water in through the wall so that they could have crops that they could live off of, the Euphrates River ran under the wall. And so they were able to get water to provide them for food, to, for things to grow and so on and so forth. So what Cyrus does is he brings his army and he's outside of the wall and the Babylonians are mocking him. They're saying, are you serious? Or do you think that you're really going to take us down? It almost kind of reminds you of Jericho, doesn't it? Um, this is a lot bigger than Jericho, though. These walls are massive. And so the Babylonians are mocking them, saying there is no way that you are ever going to defeat us. And so what Cyrus does is he's a pretty smart guy. And so their army's out there. The Babylonians are laughing at them. They're saying you can huff. And you can puff, but there's no way that you're going to blow our walls. I'm sorry, that's another story. But So what happens here is the Babylonians, what they did was, is, is they didn't know what was going on upstream uh, in the Euphrates River. And what Cyrus did was he took his engineers, and what he did was he plowed over the levees to divert the water that ran under the wall of Babylon to the marshes, which allowed the Persians to go underneath the wall. It almost sounds like a scene from Lord of the, Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? So if you guys watch that, um, if you're geeky like me and you like those movies. But anyway, so what happens is they divert the water, which gives the, uh, the Persians the ability to go under the wall, not over it, but under it. Now you think, okay, well... They'll just slaughter him as they go under the wall. Well, Daniel records for us that the king of Babylon mocked God and God said, your time is up. And so what happens is during the night, the king of Babylon was in the midst, uh, midst of a drunken brouhaha with all his soldiers. They were all inebriated. It was just a, a total debauchery. And so they were, they were in this midst of a drunken brouhaha, which completely left them defenseless against the Persians. Basically, the Persians went in and it was just a bloodbath. 
And so what, what, what's happening here is that God was laying the foundation to use Cyrus to, to fulfill his plans. Let me say this to you. God is sovereign. I don't care what you see going on around the world. I want you to know this morning that God is in control. Can I get an amen? We don't have to be fearful. How do I know this? Well, listen to what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He says this. He, speaking of God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God would use this king, King Cyrus, to bring his people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that God desired to have done. Now, why was this so important? Why wouldn't they just move on? Why wouldn't they just say, why do we have to go back to Jerusalem? Like I said earlier, Jerusalem symbolizes the center for God's people and God's presence for them. This is where the temple was. Its destruction was symbolic of the spiritual lives of Israel. By having the temple rebuilt, understand this, by having the temple rebuilt, it was symbolic of rebuilding God's relationship with his people. It was symbolic of their spiritual lives. It's, it was the center of where they brought their sacrifices, where their sins were atoned for. This was very, very important. So God allowed them to come back. And the first thing he wanted them to do is what? Rebuild the temple. And so God wanted that to be renewed. He wanted their relationship to be restored. He wanted that which was lost to be renewed once again. Now, as for these exiles, they returned, and the first thing they did was they rebuilt the foundation of the temple. But it wouldn't be long before they would become discouraged because those around them didn't like what was going on. The enemy didn't like what was happening before them. And so at this time, they would come back, but they would get discouraged. So what would happen is they would just lay the foundation, but years would pass before they would actually build the whole temple. And so uh, Ezra, once again, gives us a little insight here in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And, and let me read that for you. So here's what's happening. Exiles are returning. They're building the temple. People are getting excited. They're already offering up sacrifices, even with just the foundation there. And here's what it says. And they sang responsively uh, praises and giving thanks to the Lord. And they were saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. Isn't that exciting? Okay, I'm the only one that's excited. Okay, they're excited, okay? They're saying, wow, God, look what you're doing. We're, we're building, we're laying the foundation. We're building the temple. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And so you've got a group of people that are all excited. God is moving before them. They're actually seeing something happen the foundation is laid. They're all excited. But verse 12, everybody say, but. When you hear the word but, that's usually not a good thing, right? But something happens, right? So it's not all good. Look at verse 12. But 
many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house or the first temple. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We saw the first temple and wait a minute. This one is not like that one. In fact, this one was a lot smaller. It's not the same. It's a little different. And what happened is they wept with loud voices when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted for joy. So what you have here is you have the optimists who are like, yeah. And then you've got the pessimists over here, right? This isn't the same. This house is little. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't what it's like. And you've got people over this isn't what, what are you, what are you optimists talking about? This isn't, this isn't the same. This is not what we've been looking for. This is a lot smaller. So you've got two groups of people. You've got the happy ones, and then you've got the sad ones thinking it's not like it was in the good old days. But how many know so many times that the good old days not, are not necessarily the good old days. I think they forgot how much Israel backslid, right? and how much idolatry worship there was in the land. So you've got the optimists and you've got the pessimists. And, and I, I call the, the pessimists many times just joy suckers. So you've got the people that are all excited and they're worshiping the Lord. And then you've got the people over here who are the joy suckers that are trying to suck the joy out of this uh, dedication that's going on in the Lord. Now, now let, me, let me just lay something out here for you this morning. Let me give you three things that will suck the life out of you if you're not careful. So if you take notes, write these three things down. I just want to give you three things real quick that will suck the life out of an optimist. Have you ever been real excited about something and then someone came on and just dumped water on your parade? You know, you're real excited about something and maybe it was a car that you got or something and then someone says, well, you know, there's a lot of maintenance on that thing. Try doing an oil change on that car. Yeah, that's going to cost you a lot of money there. And you're like, you're all excited. And it's like, wah, wah, wah. Right? So, so let me give you three things that will suck the life out of being optimistic. Three things to do to discourage yourself. So if you want to discourage yourself, here's what you do. Are you ready? Here's three things to discourage yourself. Number one, compare yourself to others. Because that's exactly what these pessimistic people were doing, they were comparing this building to the other one. They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't thinking about, God, you're moving in our midst. God, we're rebuilding. God, you're rebuilding Jerusalem. God, you want to do a great thing even through this temple. Even though it's different from Solomon's temple, you still want to do a great thing here. They weren't thinking about that. They were comparing. So if you want to get discouraged, begin to compare yourself and say things like, well, they don't have any problems. Their life's not like mine. Why is my life? How many, how many of you know that everybody has problems? Raise your hand if you absolutely have no problems in your life. Okay, and if you do, come up here and you can start preaching because I got problems. All right? Anybody takers? No, I'm just teasing. Right? So we all have problems in our lives. None of us are free from problems. So the minute we start comparing ourselves, the minute we start saying, well, I don't have any problems in my life, watch out. You're going to suck the optimism out of your life. The second thing is 
Find something bad in every single situation. Find something bad in every situation. You know, it's like you could say, like, boy, it's really beautiful outside, right? And then you could say, well, gee, it's really cold out. It's supposed to snow a lot tomorrow. And that makes me nervous because if it snows, then that means I got a shovel. And if I got a shovel, I can throw my back out. If I throw my back out, then I could be out for a week. <laughs> you know? Okay, good. I'm glad it's nice and snowy out, right? We have a joke in our family. Um, when we get together for the 4th of July, I'll, I'll always, you know, I'll always just say something like this. Because, you know, it's the beginning of summer and you're celebrating 4th of July and you're all excited about the summer. Every 4th of July, I always say something like this. You know, before you know it, it's going to be Labor Day. It's going to be all over. And then someone throws watermelon at me or a piece of chicken or whatever to say, will you just shut up, right? So instead of finding, in, in, instead of finding something good in your situation, we, we, we always look for something negative. That's a, a great way to discourage yourself. It reminds me of a story of parents who had uh, two boys, and one was a pessimistic to the extreme, and the other was an optimist to the extreme. And the parents said, man, we've got to do something to balance our boys out because they're on such extreme opposite sides. So they said, we'll know what we'll do for Christmas. Um, we'll give our pessimistic son a really nice gift and we'll give our optimistic son a really bad gift. And so what they did was for the pessimistic son, they gave him a brand new bike and his response was, oh, no, I'm going to break my arm. It was his first response. And then to the optimistic uh, son, they gave him a huge pile of manure. To his responses, he dove right into the middle of the manure, throwing the manure around, saying, there has to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> right? I thought I could use a manure story because we're in Wayne County. So I thought I could get away with that. Is that okay? All right. So let's, you can look at it both ways. And it's, so let's be careful. Let's be careful not you know, to find something negative in every single thing. Let's guard our hearts against that. And number three, to get yourself discouraged is see no purpose in the situation. As hard or as difficult as any situation may be, God does use it. And I have to trust the Lord. See, when we see no purpose, that gets us so discouraged because then we'll begin saying like, what is God doing? God doesn't care about me. Why are these things happening to me? You know, even God taking the Israelites out of Jerusalem and, and using them in this exile experience still used it for his purposes and his glory, even though it was a difficult situation. And no matter what you're going through or how difficult your situation is, God does use things for his purpose. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, if you love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to what? His purpose. So we know that God has a purpose to work what? His good and all those things that he might get the glory, even though it may not seem good to us. And I heard a pastor say this one time, and I just thought it made so much sense. If it ain't good, God's not done with it yet. If it ain't good, now this pastor was from the South, so you can use ain't. If it ain't good, God's not done with it yet. So let God do what he needs to do in your situation. Don't give up on him. 
And it's easy to give up on him if we get discouraged. So here they are. They're, they're, they're building the temple. Then their enemies are around them. And, and this created a huge problem to the point to where they stopped building for close to 16 years. So here this project gets stalled because of discouragement. And so when we get discouraged, usually the first thing we do is we just want to stop. When we get discouraged, the first thing we usually do is pull away or we want to isolate ourselves. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to do to us. This is what the enemy did to those that returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And so what God did was during this time, God sent prophets to encourage them. And one of these prophets was Haggai. And Haggai told them not to lose sight of their top priority and, and, and to kind of give them a kick in the pants to start rebuilding again. And all of this can get discouraged. We want to give up. Maybe you have been hurt. Maybe you've been hurt at a church or by another Christian. And we just want to give up. We want to isolate ourselves. We want to protect ourselves from getting hurt again. Maybe life has just consumed you and you're so busy and so many things uh, that are taking over your life. And, and all of a sudden we just, we just get discouraged and we take a, a hiatus from God or, or we just, you know, we just get discouraged and we isolate ourselves. And maybe we say, well, God's just not a top priority right now in my life. Well, I want you to listen to the words of Haggai because he tells Israel really what their problem is. And yes, part of their problem is they've gotten discouraged. The enemy has, has, has kind of discouraged them, but they have the Lord on their side. And I want you to see what Haggai says here. In Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 9, let me read it for you. He says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in panel houses, while this house, speaking of the temple, lay in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hill and bring wood to build the house, the temple that I have taken pleasure in that I may be glorified says the Lord you looked for much and behold it little it behold it came to little and when you brought it home I blew it away why declares the Lord of hosts because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house okay what's going on here What the prophet revealed to them was this. They are not finding satisfaction or pleasure in anything they're doing. Now, they're going about their lives. They seem to have food. They seem to have built their homes. They seem to be producing some money. But they're not fulfilled. They're going nowhere fast in a hurry. They're busy But their busyness is not producing a satisfaction. And it's for this reason. God has not blessed it. Listen, this is a good point. Dial in on me right here. You ready? Dial in. So many times we think 
that the things of the world are going to bring us satisfaction. We think, well, if I can only straighten this out, if this happens in my life, if I get more of this, if I get a better job, if I get a nice room, if I get a better car, blah, 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 right? We do all these things, blah, blah, blah. And not that God does not want us to have any of those things or to bless us with those things, but when we look to those things to find us satisfaction and we're not looking to God, God does not bless it. Which means is there's no satisfaction in it. And what happens is we need more and more and more to try to fulfill something in our heart that is only pockets with holes in it, Haggai says. And that's exactly what happened to the heart of Israel. They were excited at first for the Lord, but their fervor waned when they stepped away from the very thing that God wanted them to do, and that was to build the temple symbolically of rebuilding their spiritual lives. So what they were trying to do is they were trying to fix their lives through non-spiritual things. And so the very things that God wanted to bless them with, it wasn't that he didn't want them to have homes or jobs or to be fulfilled in those things. The problem is they were looking for those things to fulfill their lives and not looking to God to satisfy them. Can I get an amen? That's good. That's good stuff right there. So he reveals to them that God's not blessing what they're doing. And so they were taking care of their own needs while their own houses lay, while the house of God laid unfinished. So they were saying things like, I want my life to be blessed by the Lord. But in order to do that, we have to give our life to the Lord in order for him to bless it. Not my notes, but let me tell you something right now. Listen, whatever you have, Give it to the Lord to bless. Whatever you have, say, God, I may not have enough. I may not have a lot. I may not be a wealthy person. I may not have anything. But Lord, whatever I have, whatever gifts I've had, whatever you give me, Lord, I give them back to you. And I want you to bless them. I, I, want, I, want, to be, I want you to be honored through the things that I do for you, through the giftings that you have given me. That's where you find satisfaction. That's where you'll find contentment in your life. That's why I love going on missions trips. Because when you just talk to people and you see so many times when you go to a developing country and you just see the things that they don't have, but the things that they're so satisfied in because God is blessing it. It's because their hearts are in the right place. And I want to make sure our hearts are in the right place. God wanted to make sure that Israel's hearts were in the right place. And their heart had to be set towards the temple, towards their relationship with God. And so this is what happened to Israel. They got discouraged. They gave up. They started fending for themselves, every man for themselves. But here's the funny thing. They weren't happy. It was all emptiness. And you might think, well, why am I not happy or why do I feel empty? More stuff will never help. You see, it's a spiritual thing. We need to get things right with God first. And, 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 and the wonderful thing about God is God doesn't leave them there. That through the prophet Haggai and through the prophet Zechariah, he encourages them to set out in faith and to build the temple. Yeah, Haggai came to try to kind of kick him in the pants a little bit. And then Zechariah comes to try to encourage them, encourage the leaders to say, don't give up. Rebuild the temple. That's why I have brought you back. That's why I have moved on the heart of Cyrus to even give you money. And supplies to do this. Can you not see that I am working in your midst? You're missing it. I've supplied everything you need and you don't even see it. And so 
he encourages these prophets to go. And Haggai, if you look at verse 2, or chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Haggai says, Now be strong, O Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was kind of the governor that was in charge of this. So he's encouraging them. Let's say, don't give up. Don't give up your leadership. He says, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My, listen to this, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. I'm with you. I've given you everything you need. And so Zerubbabel, the the governor of Judah, who was in charge of this rebuilding, he was discouraged, but this word was for him. And not only was was Haggai encouraging uh, Zerubbabel, but Zechariah encouraged him also. And this is one one of my favorite, I have a lot of favorite verses, but this is definitely one of my favorite verses. And it's found in Zechariah 4, 6. And this is what God said through Zechariah to Zerubbabel. He said, then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And he says this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. You can't do it in your own strength. And I know for some of you here this, this morning, you might be trying to do some things and you feel like you're just banging your head against the wall because you're looking to fleshly things in your life to fix a spiritual thing that only God can fix. And the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel was this. Listen, I've given you all the supplies you need. You got all the money. There, there's no reason why you can't rebuild my house. The problem is your spirit is broken within you. That's why nothing in the world is satisfying you. And for some of you here today, the reason why you're not satisfied is because your spirit is broken. You've lost sight of God and what he can do in your situation. And these words should encourage us today that says, God, it's by your spirit that we do these things. It's not by my power, but by my might. And the way this story connects with us here today is that through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we come to Christ and Christ forgives us of our sins and we bow our hearts and our lives to him. What God does is he places his Holy Spirit within us And the Bible says that our bodies now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we're never alone. That it's by the power of the Spirit that we can accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish in our life. I love what Paul says here in Romans 8, 9 through 12. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact... The spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong in him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And what Paul does is he goes a little bit further on. I love this in that chapter. And he says this about the Holy Spirit, which I love about the character and the person and the Godhead the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not even know what to pray at times or what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I can't say it any plainer to you this morning that the only way we can fix what we're going through, our problems in our life, is to seek the face of God. To allow his Holy Spirit to infiltrate our lives. To say, God, I just need you in this situation. Listen, God, I, I know what I'm looking at and it just seems so it seems so impossible sometimes and it's just, and, I, and, and we all get there. We walk in the flesh and we get discouraged because we don't see things that are happening, but God does see what's happening behind the scenes. I'm sure the Israelites were discouraged when they're in exile, but God behind the scenes knew exactly what he was doing. He set everything up. He knew that the Persian army was going to go into Babylon. He knew that the waters were going to be drained. He knew that 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 city would be destroyed in one day. He knew that he would lay on Cyrus's heart to let his people go back. He knew that he would give the money to help rebuild the temple. He placed on the hearts of the prophets to speak these words of encouragement to the leaders of Israel to not give up. To say it's not going to be by your power or your might, but it's going to be by my spirit, says the Lord. And sometimes we need to get to a place and maybe God has placed you in a place where he's saying, you know what? The only thing you have right now is me. Because everything else is too hard. And that's exactly where I want you right now. Because I want you to completely depend on me and allow me to give you the eyes to see the situation differently. Not, not pessimistically, but optimistically that I am working through you and I am working through this situation. But my spirit needs to lead you. My spirit needs to be implanted in your heart, in your life in order for my plans to be accomplished. God is doing something spiritual. You know, how many of us, we just get discouraged over situations in our lives, right? We just do. We get discouraged about situations in our lives. And, and, and I, believe me, if, if I lean anywhere, ask my wife, I tend to lean over a little bit more pessimistic. I'm more of like, we, we say that we're realists. Well, we're realists, right? We're just giving you the real story, right? But I, I admit that sometimes I'm pessimistic about things. And my wife, Kathleen's a lot, she has a lot more faith about things. She's just like, you know, God's going to work it out. And I think that's why God brought her into my life to encourage me about things. I get discouraged sometimes. She's like, yeah, but Bard, let's look at this and blah, blah, blah. 
And I can remember there was a time that we're just going through a discouraging time, and some of our kids were just battling with some classes in school and stuff, and I was a little frustrated. And, and I can remember there was someone that just texted me at the exact same moment that we were going through that discouraging time with one of our kids. And it was just with school or whatever. And we we're just discouraged. And, and I admit I was getting fleshly and I was just like, oh, we're going to work this out. Blah, 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 blah. I got to do this. We got to do that. Blah, blah. And all of a sudden this text comes at the exact same time. And I read this text and it's from somebody in our church. And they just say, hey, just want to let you know that the Lord laid your child on my heart, gave me a scripture and said, don't worry about it. God's in control of your life. Now, for the pessimist like me, I was like, I am such a dummy. Right? Why do I get, why do, why do I not see that all the time, right? Why am I not looking to the spiritual and just saying, let's just pray about this and let God take control, right? I'm trying to think of all the things we need to do and get in order. But God needed to remind me that He's in control. But to seek his face and not to worry about it so much. And I don't know where you guys are today or what situation that you're faced with. But let God be in control. Give him the reins. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by spirit. And I want us to pray today as we close. And you might be here today. And you might just be like, I need God's spirit in this situation that I'm faced with. And I just need to depend on him. Let me just say this. We're family here today. None of us are perfect in this place. We all make mistakes. But we are family. This, this church is a family. And we need to care about what we're going through today. And so what we're going to do is as we close the service today, I want to pray for you. And maybe that's you today. And you just say, Pastor, I just need prayer today. Something I'm going through. I just, I just need God's spirit. That, that scripture just spoke to my heart. I just need God's spirit to lead me and to strengthen me in this situation that I'm faced with. So this is what I want you to do. I want us to bow our hearts and we're going to pray. But if that's you today, I just want you to stand and just say, that's me today. And I just need prayer. I admit it. I admit it in front of the congregation. I loved the way Pastor Mike handled that a couple of weeks ago, about just standing before the congregation and just saying, you know what? We're just family here. We all have issues. We all have problems. We all face, uh, we're all faced with issues in our lives, but we're just family. It's not, nothing to be embarrassed about. It's something to say, you know what? I need God's strength. And by standing up, you're recognizing that, God, I'm going to give you control in this situation. And I want other people praying for me. And I need God's help. I need God's help. So I want us to bow our heads. If that's you, I just want you to stand and just acknowledge, say, God, I'm faced with this thing in my life and I need your help. Amen. 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 God is good. God is good. God is good.
God, we just bow our hearts before you. I thank you for those that have had the courage to stand today, recognizing that, Lord, we, there's this thing in front of me, and I just need your spirit. I thank you, Lord, in the little ways that you remind us that you're in control. And Lord, I know in myself I can be so pig-headed and forget that ultimately you're in control. God, I just pray for every single one of us in this place. Lord, I just pray that, God, whatever the situation is, we're standing here because we're saying we need you. And we need your wisdom. And, Lord, we, we know that even when we are weak, we know that your spirit intercedes even through us with groans and utterance that can't even be expressed so that we can pray within the will of God so that we might know the heart of God. So thank you for your spirit that even prays through us when we are weak. Thank you for that, God. So I pray, Lord, that whatever the situations, whatever we're faced with, whatever the trial may be, that, Lord, we would seek your face, that we would not grow weary, that we would not get discouraged, that you're, that you're working your plan out, that you're a good God, that you're not finished with us. But Lord, we need to be encouraged today not to give up. So I pray that you would encourage every heart in this place, every heart that feels discouraged or feels hopeless about this situation, that Lord, you would infuse them with your grace and your love and your word today to encourage them not to give up, just like you did to Zerubbabel. Thank you for your prophets, God, that spoke your word not to give up. And your word is still viable to us here today, not to give up, not to lose hope, not to lose strength, because Jesus, you conquered all. And you even said, Jesus, in this world, we will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome this world. So, Lord, let our hope ultimately be in your Son who's overcome this world. And in each one of our situations, God, we pray that you would move in a mighty way, that we would trust you with our very lives. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Encourage us today that we will see with different eyes, that we will begin to see with your eyes and not through the eyes of the world, but we would see with your eyes. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for your people, God. I thank you for this church. And we just give you our lives now. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful, wonderful name. Amen, 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 amen. Let's all stand. Amen. And let's just give the Lord just praise the day for his word. Amen. 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 God is good. As you guys go, let's pray that we actually have service on Wednesday. No more snow days. And uh, God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Go in God's grace. Amen.